0: The following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. Our Father, please help us this morning to have our minds refreshed by your word. We want to see Jesus. We want to be transformed by his life and by his death. We want to know Him. Help us today especially to see how Jesus cared for people, uh, people who were hard to love, people who were faithless, people who hated Him. Help us to see just how He kept on going, pressing into the hardships, pushing through the tiredness and serving the needs of the people and serving you, His Father ultimately doing your will. Lord, we want to follow in Jesus' footsteps, but we need your help this morning. We're asking in Christ's name, amen. Point number one, surprise, (laughs) got no time to get warmed up this morning. Grab your notes and we're jumping right in. We're looking at the shocking Jesus again today. We're in Luke chapter 8. Point number one, Jesus had massive demands. I'm not joking. Jesus had massive demands. Luke chapter 8, verse 1, it's in your notes to make it easier for you to follow along. Look at it with me. And it happened that soon afterward, Jesus was going around from one city and village to another, preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. And there are many others also listed there in the text. But go to verse 4. Now, a large crowd was coming together, and those from the various cities were journeying to Jesus. Stop right there. I'm not sure if you've ever thought about this. But the, the traveling spectacle that Jesus' ministry had become, I mean, just the size of it was immense. He would go from city to city. Village to village, massive crowds of thousands of people would follow him around. Often he'd tell them to go home and they wouldn't. They would stay right there. Remember, the, there was two occasions where he performed miracles to provide food and the crowds were 4,000 and 5,000. Massive crowds would turn out to see Jesus. Luke 4 verse 42 says that people would search for him. And, uh, and when they found him, they wouldn't leave him alone. In fact, in Luke 5, verse 17, it says that people came from every village in Judea and Galilee, and they even came from Jerusalem, which was a long way away from Galilee. Safe to say that Jesus' ministry turned Israel upside down. His traveling ministry involved thousands and thousands of healings. Some commentators, even Say that Jesus almost eradicated illness from the land. He healed so many people. When he preached, the crowds were humongous, and often he would have to climb up onto an elevated mountainside or maybe push out into the water on a boat just so people could see him and hear him. Remember short little Zacchaeus? I don't know how short he was, somewhere down here, maybe. And, um, sorry, he was so short, uh, he he was lost in the crowd, and he climbed a tree just to get a view of Jesus. Everyone wanted a piece of Jesus. Jesus experienced massive demands. Now, with each one of these, I'm going to make a connection for us, and and for this, I'm asking, maybe you experience massive demands in ministry. You're involved, and Your ministry capacity and you're serving hard and you feel like the weight of that ministry, the demands people want you to do more and more and more but know this Jesus felt the same way massive demands not only that but number two Jesus had massive responsibilities massive responsibilities in verse 4 at the end of verse 4 it says Jesus spoke by way of a parable And then, and we won't read it now, but he went on in the next verses to teach the parable of the sower. But this was his responsibility, preaching and teaching. It was assigned to him, actually, by his father. God, the father, gave Jesus this job, three and a half years of constant preaching and teaching. In fact, in John 17, verse 8, Jesus says that his father gave him the words to say... And, and that he was faithful to dispense those words to the masses. How about you? Do you ever feel the weight of responsibility when it comes to ministry? There's so much to get done. Not just the demands from other people, but this weight of scripture and biblical uh, commandment and things that we know we ought to be doing in the church. Huge responsibilities. Jesus had that too. Same thing. And for Jesus, it was a massive responsibility. In fact, in order to get it done, he traveled the, uh, the, the length of Israel at least three times. And he did side excursions, other trips. Uh, people have tried to calculate this, and they think he walked over 1,000 miles during his ministry. A long, long way to get the preaching and teaching done. The whole country was resounding with his sermons and teaching. And then later, in his ministry, he started with sermons, kind of the basic sermons, like the Sermon on the Mount, easily understood. Anyone could hear those and understand those sermons. Then he transitioned later in his ministry to parables, which were more obscure stories, filled with spiritual meaning, for sure, but a little harder to understand and interpret, People always ask, why why did he start with clear sermons and then move to obscure stories, parables? Well, the answer is in in number three, Jesus had massive focus. Massive focus. Look at verse 9 with me. And remember, Jesus, we skipped it, but Jesus has just told the parable of the sower. Then in verse 9, his disciples began questioning him as to what the parable meant. In other words, they didn't understand it. They didn't get it. And he says in verse 10, he says, To you disciples, it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to everyone else, to the rest, they're going to get it in parables. So that, it says it there, so that seeing, they may not see. And in hearing, they may not understand. And then in verse 11, now the meaning of the parable is this, and Jesus goes on with his disciples to explain the meaning of the parable of the sower. Jesus would only explain the parables to his disciples. No one else got that explanation. And if people think that parables are meant to clarify the truth, that's not true. That's not why Jesus used Parables. He, he used parables to hide the truth from the general public and then would get aside with his disciples later and explain those parables. Jesus had a massive focus. and He had crowds swamping him. There were people calling for his attention, demanding miracles and all the rest. But Jesus' focus was on his chosen disciples. They needed the truth. They got the extra special attention. They needed that extra kind of focus. You know, again, for us in 2022, there are many responsibilities piling up and demands are pressing in. We too need to remember that there are a few people who need our special attention, a special concentration, a special focus. They are the key people in our lives. They get the extra time. You say, who are those people? That's number four. Jesus had massive priorities. Massive priorities. In verse 19, Jesus' mother and brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to Jesus because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, they said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, and they want to see you. But Jesus answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Imagine that. I mean, that's kind of offensive, isn't it? I mean, conventional wisdom today says that family takes priority over everything else, right? That's what people say. But then you look at this and you've got Jesus' mother and his siblings. They just wanted some time with Jesus. And he says, no, they are not my real family. Shocking. You know, a similar thing happened to Jesus when he was on the cross. It's John chapter 19. Jesus is hanging on the cross and he looks down and he sees his mother, Mary. And he's thinking about her future care. Who's going to look after her? And he looks down and speaks to her, and he gives his mother Mary into the care of John, the disciple. Now, that's a surprise, isn't it? Because Jesus had siblings. The normal thing would be to give his mother to the next eldest sibling, the brother. But his siblings were not believing in him. They were not Christians, at least not at that point. And so Jesus gives Mary, his mother, John the disciple Jesus prioritized spiritual relationships over blood family I wonder if you have the same priority uh, are your relationships in, in the family of God more significant than with unsaved family members that's the question do you trust Christian friends more than non-Christian family? That's the way Jesus lived his life. Even when his family tried to insert themselves into his day, he kept his priorities straight. Now, now, by the way, that's not to say that families aren't important. I'm not saying that, okay? In fact, the Bible says a lot about responsibilities for fathers and mothers and children and widows, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But when it comes to trust and when it comes to unity and the intimacy of relationship, We have way more in common with Christians inside the church than with unsaved family members. Super important. And Jesus modeled that well. Look at number five. Jesus had massive intentionality. Massive intentionality. In verse 22. The text says, now it happened that on one of those days, he and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake, and so they set out. So the scene is this, it was one of those crazy, busy days, a typical day for Jesus, The masses are pressing all around him. They want stuff. They they want miracles. They want healings. They want the fantastical stuff. He's been preaching. He's been ministering. He's been giving his attention to the masses. On a day just like that, he finally says to his disciples, he says, hey guys, I need some time with you. Let's get into a boat. We'll go to the other side of the lake. Get some alone time. Just with you guys. Just us. In other words... When it comes to his disciples, Jesus is massively intentional. His time on earth is coming to an end. And even though there's crowds demanding more and more and more, he says, No, I gotta get some time with my guides. I'm leaving this earth soon. I need to prepare them. I need to have time alone with them. So he searches out solitude with the disciples. They jump into a boat, they start sailing. But on the boat, look and see what happens. This is number six. Jesus had massive exhaustion. Verse 23 As they were sailing along, he fell asleep. And a windstorm descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped and in danger. And they came to Jesus and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he woke up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves and they stopped and it became calm. Think about this. Jesus is so tired that even a raging storm cannot wake him up. And this was a big storm. You know, Some of these disciples were fishermen and they'd been on this lake a thousand times and they'd been in storms before. But this storm... Was different. They thought they were going to die, and yet Jesus is so tired that he's asleep in the bottom of the boat in a puddle, and they they have to wake him up. That is massive exhaustion. Yeah. You ever get tired while serving God in ministry? (laughs) You ever get so tired that you get sick in the stomach because you're exhausted? You know, our mad crews, they come home from camp, and they're so stinking tired. And our BBS workers, they work so hard. The setup guys, the tear-down team, they're here early, they stay late. Pastors, elders, deacons, CG leaders, CG hosts, children's workers, they're out there right now in the heat. It's exhausting work the music guys, the sound, women's ministry, men's women's ministry, so many others. Aren't you thankful for these teams of people who work themselves to death? I don't know if you've ever given yourself to long, hard, early, late hours serving Christ in this church, and then you crash. You get home and you crash because your tank is empty, but you know the thrill of sacrificial service to Christ and his church. And it brings such a joy, doesn't it? Such a joy. I and mean, my encouragement to you is this. Keep going. Keep doing that. Don't give up. I mean, you're tired. Get some naps. Jesus got a nap. It's okay. Sleep is good. Get your sleep. Get up and get going again. Because you can do it, right? You can do it for another hour another day another week another year this is normal christianity you know in first colossians 1 verse 29 paul said that he labored to the point of collapse and he strove in fact it says he agonized for the sake of ministry that is the life of a christian I encourage you to keep going. So thankful for the super servants here at FBC who give their time and money and effort and then they keep going and doing it again and again and again. Notice also here, number seven, Jesus had massive disappointments. You look at this, I mean, he just performed this massive miracle. He spoke to the wind and the waves and the storm disappeared and the water went flat like glass bang done and then in verse 25 Jesus says to the disciples he says where's your faith (laughs) he's asking them where's your faith gone did it disappear in the storm because these are the men if, if anyone should have been faith filled it would be these men they've seen it all right Miracle after miracle after miracle. Healing after healing. Water into wine. Sight restored. Hearing reinstated. Leprosy dealt with. Seen it all. And it seems like they still don't know who he is. What a disappointment. I don't know about you. Maybe sometimes you find yourself working alongside someone who shows little faith when times get hard. Maybe their future view is bleak. Maybe it feels like their cup is, cup is half empty. Maybe you live with family who, who claim to know Christ, but when, the, when it gets really tough, their faith seems to depart and leave them. When that happens, know this. Jesus was constantly surrounded by disappointing faithless people, but he kept going anyway. You know, there was Peter. and Peter promised the world, didn't he? And yet on the night when Christ was arrested, Peter denied him three times, one night. And then there's the mighty disciples. You know, two of them were called the sons of thunder. But when Jesus was arrested in the garden, they all ran for their lives. And then you have the crowds of people who, who once couldn't get enough of Jesus, but quickly turned on him and wanted him dead. And still, you look at Jesus, and he forgave and restored and served and sacrificed for these disappointing people who struggle to show faith. Boy, we need to be like him, don't we? No matter how tough it gets and no matter the disappointments. Not only that, but look at number eight. Jesus had massive distractions. The storm goes away. They get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee In verse 27, when he came out onto the land, a man from the city met him, one who was possessed with demons and had not put on any garment for a long time. He was naked. He's not living in a house. This is a homeless, naked man, but he lived in the tombs. Verse 28, Now seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Massive distraction, right? I mean, Jesus is trying to get alone with his disciples. He just wants time with them. And then he's faced with this guy. His name is Legion. Now, we know that a Roman legion is made up of 6,000 soldiers. So here's this poor guy, and his body has been invaded by thousands of demons. And Jesus turns up, and they see him. They see Jesus. They recognize who he is. And the demons decide to engage with Jesus. Massive distraction. All Jesus wants to do is to get away. By the way, Satan has done this before with Jesus. You know, in Matthew chapter 4, Satan, Satan led Jesus out into the wilderness and tried to get Jesus to be tempted to sin. And then, in Matthew 16, you know, it was Satan... Who used Peter the disciple of all men? He used Peter to try to mess up God's plan, and Jesus turns to Peter and says, "Get behind me, who?" Satan. Satan. This is what Satan does. His demons. they're in the business of trying to distract Jesus and his followers. He's trying to distract you. He wants you to sin. He he wants you to think about things that have nothing to do with the character of God. He's doing it right now. He's gonna do it on the ride home. He's gonna do it tonight, tomorrow. Massive distractions brought on us by the devil and his minions. He did it to Jesus. You can bet he's gonna do it to us too. But you look at this, Jesus has to make a decision, it's number nine. Jesus had massive decisions. Verse 31. And the demons were pleading with Jesus not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons pleaded with Jesus to permit them to enter the swine. And he gave them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Think about this. As if the pressures weren't already enough, now Jesus has to manage the destiny of these evil spirits. They were already a distraction, taking up time, but even more so now because they're pleading their case and Jesus even gives time to that. Now, do you think Jesus could have sent them straight to hell? Straight to the abyss? I think so. He can do what he wants. But he takes time to listen to their appeal and, and, get this, he even grants their wish. He didn't need to do that. Let me ask you, do you ever lose patience with horrible people? Ever want to give evil people their just desserts, gonna kind of hurry up their punishment? And you, you look at this situation with Jesus and you think, boy, this is amazing. Because Jesus was so gracious to these demons that he would even consider their appeal and grant it. Oh, we need to learn from him, don't we? We're, we are so quick with wicked people, we're so unkind to sinners whom we think should go to hell today, like send them now. But Jesus showed empathy even to wicked demons and trusted God's plan. Now, you think that the locals would be super thankful for this man who just got delivered, right, from the demons. But look at what happens here. Number 10, Jesus had massive thanklessness. Verse 36, those that, who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been saved. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked Jesus to leave them, for they were gripped with great fear, and he got into abode and returned. They asked him to leave. What on earth? They've got a miracle worker right there a healer in their midst, and they tell him to go away? They should have been thankful. They should have marveled. They should have rejoiced in the deliverance of this poor man. But Jesus experienced massive thanklessness. You know, I really think that these people were probably more concerned about their pigs than they were the poor man who got saved. Way more concerned about the loss of farming income because the swine were drowned. How about you? You're serving, sacrificing, giving your time and your money and your effort to the point of tremendous exhaustion and no one seems to see it. No one seems to acknowledge it. No one says thanks. What are you going to do? Will you keep going? Will you continue to be faithful? Will you commit to the long haul in ministry, knowing that God sees your service? And that's all that matters, right? All that matters is that God sees what you're doing. I hope that's what you would do. That's what Jesus did. Look at this, number 11. Jesus had massive concentration. In verse 38 the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him, but Jesus sent him away. And he said to the man, return to your house and recount with what great things God has done for you. Jesus sent him home. <laughs> Even though this guy who was saved and he was rejoicing and he was begging to come along with Jesus, Jesus knows that He doesn't need another follower on his team. He doesn't need that. He's got his team. He's got his disciples. His attention are on them. He doesn't need more responsibility. He doesn't need to manage the breadth of his ministry. He doesn't need to add more to that company. That's in God's hands. You know, for us, we ought not always to be thinking about the size of ministry. The breadth is not what we're concerned about. We focus, we concentrate on the things that God has given us. He's assigned us gifts and certain tasks and we take care of those. Take care of the depth of your ministry. God takes care of the breadth of your ministry. So he tells this guy to go home. Jesus returns now to his God-assigned ministry. Look at verse 12. Jesus had massive requests. Oh, yeah. Massive requests. And Jesus returned in verse 40. The crowd welcomed him for they, look at that, they'd been waiting for him. Now, this is amazing. So here, here's Jesus, there's the crowds and, and they're pressing around him. He says to his disciples, okay guys, let's go to the other side of the lake. Let's get some time alone. The people there kick him out of that area so he comes back to the original side of the lake, and guess what? It's the next day, and all these people are still waiting for him. They're still there. They won't go away. And then verse 41, Behold, there came a man from, uh, named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. He was a Pharisee. And falling at Jesus' feet, he began to plead with him to come to his house. Why? Why? Verse 42, because he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. You know, just when you think, you think, okay, surely by now Jesus might give up on all these taxing people. They don't deserve him. Just then, in that moment, another request comes, and it's from Jairus. And he's pleading for Jesus to come. And Jesus says, right, let's go. Let's do it. I'm on my way. He doesn't stop. You know, Jesus' service mentality was endless, wasn't it? His kind, generous spirit had no end. His compassion for the hurting was never ending. How about you? Just when you think you've done enough, just when you think, I've reached my capacity, and it's time for a rest. Can you respond to one more appeal for help? (laughs) Just one more thing to do? That's what Jesus did. And he did it, look at this, amidst massive confusion. That's number 13. Massive confusion. A woman, in verse 43, who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone, She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her hemorrhage stopped and Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are surrounding and pressing in on you. Now Peter is thinking, Lord, you're crazy. Everyone is touching you. Everyone is pressing in on you. It's a confusing scene for sure. Do you ever think about this? Jesus' ministry was not ordered, <laughs> not really planned out on a human scale. There was no service sheet. You know, we have these service sheets on Sunday mornings and every minute's planned out. I've got to be done by a particular time. Did you know that? Jesus' ministry was not like that. It's, no one was saying, okay, Monday is study, study. Tuesday is visitation, Wednesday is uh, evangelism, Thursday, we'll do some administration. Nothing like that. His ministry was characterized by crazy confusion. Demanding people, loud reactions, emotions, heat, dirt, tough physical conditions, and no campaign manager to sort it all out. No one there to help. Folks, are you waiting for perfect conditions? so that you can start serving Christ. There is no such thing. Maybe you're waiting for a less busy schedule and then you'll give some time to ministry in the church. You know, that's never going to happen. Life just gets busier, doesn't it? Life is messy. We all feel like we're running from one world of confusion to another, to another. That's normal. That's just normal life. So we get used to it. His ministry was confusion. But then look at this number 14. Amidst all of that, Jesus had massive compassion. (laughs) Massive compassion. So the the lady touches Jesus, her fingertips graze the, the fringe of his garment, and she's instantly healed, on the spot. Verse 46, Jesus says, Someone did touch me, for I knew that power has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling. and falling down before him, she declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Wouldn't they be encouraging words? I mean, that's uplifting stuff. Let me ask you, did Jesus need to stop and do any of this? No. Did he need to stop and find this lady to say anything? Not really. When she's healed, the crowds are a mess. The, The disciples are struggling to keep it all together. No one can really tell what's going on. And yet, in amidst all of that, he shows compassion for this lady, stops, retraces his footsteps, finds her, so he can say nine words. Nine words, just to encourage her. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's all it took. Amazing compassion. I, I wonder if there are people that we can show that kind of compassion to in our lives, in our ministry. Doesn't have to be long, erudite words. Doesn't have to be scholarly. Doesn't have to be well thought out. Just a few words of encouragement to lift them up. Goes a long way, doesn't it? Can't we do that like Jesus? And then he did this while there was massive interference because look at number 15. Jesus had massive interference. Verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official, that's Jairus' house, and said, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. I don't know about this person. Maybe they thought they were helping. Maybe the messenger thought it was best just to forget the whole Jesus thing. He certainly seems fearful. Whatever his motivation, he had... Given up on the idea that Jesus could help. You get that sometimes, don't you? People have the best of intentions, but they don't have all the information. They think they're making the best decisions, but they don't know. It's easy to get frustrated with people like that. But look at what Jesus does. He doesn't get angry. He simply says to this guy in verse 50 He says, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe and she will be saved. You know, even in the face of massive interference, Jesus still has the kindest words of encouragement, doesn't he? He's gracious with this guy and gives him reason to hope. And then if the interference wasn't enough, look at number 16. Jesus had massive ridicule. In verse 51... When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. And then there would be himself and then the girl. It's seven people in the room. That's it. Verse 52. Now they were all crying and lamenting for her, but Jesus said, stop crying, for she has not died. She's just what? Asleep. What did they do? Verse 53. They began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. They're laughing at Jesus. You know, Jesus was mocked time and time and time again, wasn't he? In 1 Peter 2, verses 22-23, it says, Jesus committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him, his father, who judges righteously. That's the way Jesus died. That's the way Jesus lived. He trusted his father. You know, when ridicule comes our way, sometimes it's from unbelievers. Sometimes we get criticisms from people even within the church. That's sad when that happens. But when it does, we don't need to become defensive. We don't need to get loud. We don't need to be aggressive. Got nothing to prove. We live obediently. We sacrifice ourselves to serve Christ and his church. When criticisms and ridicule come, we entrust ourselves to God because he's the only one who matters. And then look at this. Even though they're laughing at him, Jesus, in uh, number 17, still had massive care. Massive care. In verse 54, Jesus took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she stood up immediately. And look at this. He gave orders for something to be given her to eat. He brings this little girl back to life. And says, get her some food. I mean, that's great bedside manner, isn't it? And it's Dr. Luke who makes sure to record this for us even. Massive care from Jesus. Now again, Jesus didn't need to do this. She's alive, she's standing. He could have left the room and gone to the next emergency. But he stops to show incredible care for this girl. You know, maybe... Giving her something to eat would be an evidence that she was truly resurrected. She wasn't just a ghost. She was bodily resurrected and eating some food would help to prove that. That's true. Either way, Jesus shows massive care for this 12-year-old girl. Massive care for children. There are people in our lives who are struggling, who are tired, who are weak, who are sick, who are downtrodden, who need care. Jesus took time to care. What a wonderful example to us. Look at what he does next. Because you'd be thinking at this point that now's the time for some positive press. (laughs) If anything will win the support of the officials and the religious leaders of the time, it would be this. A resurrection from the dead. I mean, this is good stuff. And this is a little girl to boot. I mean, imagine that picture on the front page of the newspaper. But look at verse 56. Her parents were astounded, but Jesus directed them to tell no one what had happened. Tell no one? What? I mean, this is the time to advertise. <laughs> this is going to win people over. But no, instead, and this is number 18, Jesus had massive trust. He trusted his father's timing. He trusted his father's agenda. He doesn't need to hurry that along with a massive miracle to prove that he's the Messiah. He trusted his father's methods to accomplish his father's will. He trusted his father. Okay. 18 massively shocking evidences of Christ's ministry to people who were really hard to serve, right? Really hard to love. But he served them anyway. You know, this was his second busiest day-night day. You know what his busiest day-night day was? The top one? It's 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 the it's the day before he was crucified. He was in Jerusalem, the temple, preaching. He was with his disciples, the Last Supper. Goes to the garden, praying. He's arrested. The disciples run away. They take him to the court where he's tried. He's scourged, he's tortured all night. In the morning, no sleep, they take him to calvary put him on a cross and he's hanging there and he's separated in those hours from his father and he's enduring the punishment of the sins of those people who would one day look to him for salvation that's his busiest day night day on a second busiest day, night, day, he served and he served and he served and he served. Do you think Jesus loved to serve? You think he loved people? He didn't come to this world to be served, right? He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He served and he served and he served. And he served, and then he died. That, my friends, is his example to us. And boy, this should spur us on, shouldn't it? To shockingly sacrificial service here at Faith Bible Church. Because this is the life of one who follows in Christ's footsteps. Let's pray. Father, we want to be like Jesus. We, we, we ask ourselves often, what would Jesus do? We know that we have been called to follow in his footsteps. We, we want to be Christ-like. Oh, but Father, we need your help because we can't do this on our own. Please give us a love for you that's all-consuming. Please give us a a service mentality that never gives up, keeps on going year after year after year. Please give us a love for people that cancels out our care for ourselves. Lord, please give us a love for sinners who may never respond to the gospel, but help us to be kind and gracious to them anyway, knowing that you have been so kind and so gracious to us and help us to do this till we die in your name Amen Thanks for listening today Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net and if you would please leave us a review on iTunes it helps a lot